0: N E T S U I T E dot com slash WTF. <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the o crats? What's going on? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast, WTF. I'm a little amped. I'm a little amped got a lot of clarity got a lack of filter a lot of things going on in my mind not so much around me in the real world but I'm grateful for that things not going on is fine considering that bad things could be going on and are going on every day all around the world not for me today I'm grateful for that I will say this in in terms of uh, you know what's happening and what you can do to help the folks on the ground in Houston and Louisiana, uh, a lot of people are wondering how to donate to the relief effort. Here are a few suggestions uh, just to keep in mind. Make sure you do your own research on the groups you're giving to. Know where the money you send is going and what it's being used for and and, and make sure it's being used for the relief effort. Uh, with that in mind, local groups are often the best option uh, because they're working directly on the relief effort from the ground right there. We use uh, Charity Navigator to do research on charities, but there are other helpful research sites out there like uh, uh, GiveWell and uh, Charity Watch. Uh, We've made donations here at the show uh, to the Houston Food Bank and the Houston SPCA. Uh, Both are rated the highest possible four stars on Charity Navigator, and their volunteers have been working around the clock On this relief effort they're doing great work and they need all the support they can get but like I said people do your own research won't take long Uh, those research sites make it very easy and give what you can uh, to the places that you think will help but try to give these are times for giving people in trouble all all over the world that's just some information I thought I'd share with you today on the show Steve Jordan is here Steve Jordan the uh, amazing drummer from the uh, original Letterman show, from SNL, from many records. Uh, uh, the uh, the Expensive Winos with Keith Richards. He's drummed with Neil Young. He's drummed with everybody. Neil Young, everyone. He's got his own label now. He's got a new album coming out. It's out now, actually. Uh, it's called uh, Garage Sale by his band, The Verbs. He also produced the latest um, Robert Cray record. Remember Robert Cray? Robert Cray was great. And is great still uh, the album is called Robert Cray and High Rhythm it's produced by mr. Jordan he's also got uh, J- Steve's got a, uh, a show on the Sirius he's got a show on the Sirius XM channel 106 called laying it down with Steve Jordan I was excited to talk to him because I've you know he was one of those guys that was sort of the backbeat of my childhood in a way or at least since I started watching David Letterman in college And I always liked him. I always thought he was a great drummer and I was always excited to get an album that he was playing on. Played with Keith a lot. So we talk about Keith. We talk about the Stones. Talk about Cray. Talk about jazz. It's a good talk all around and he's a good cat. I like music, guys. I learned some things about the drums. Uh, Oh, another thing I wanted to say in a more uh, self-promoting way is that uh, my new comedy special... Uh, Too Real is what it's called. Premieres on Netflix next Tuesday, September 5th. So go ahead and add that to your queue, and it will be there for you to watch when it's streaming next week. I talked to a couple people about it who watched it. I haven't watched it, you know. I watched it when we edited, and uh, but since then I haven't really sat down and taken it in, and I was very happy that the two guys that were, you know, doing pieces on me about it seemed to very to be very into it. I'm very happy with it. I'm uh, I'm good with it. It came together well. Some of the jokes that I thought uh, you know might not be as relevant uh, now are are actually more relevant, which is exciting, and I'm proud of it. So I hope you watch that. It's Mark Maron, me. The shows called the specials called "Too Real" on Netflix. Netflix, no Netflix uh, on Tuesday. I think it's, it's September 5th. It's the Tuesday, right? all right okay so what what's happening with you people where, where was i last time quitting nicotine i'm still quitted i am still quitted i'm off now it'll be uh by the time you listen to this unless i fucking break down today let's see sunday monday tuesday wednesday tomorrow will be five days so thursday when you're listening to this i'll be five days off the nick and it's uh, it's a little better than when I talk to you on Monday. It's a tough thing. to The habit of it is tough. You know, I I deal like whenever I have to come out here, whenever I have to talk to somebody, I'm like I need I need things. I need a thing. I need the thing. And I wander around. But I, unfortunately, I've been eating a lot. I'm trying to eat healthily. But I got to do something, and I'm trying to I'm trying not to justify it or rationalize it. I got to assume that it's good not to be eating, you know, eight to twelve nicotine lozenges a day. To the point where I'm sick and my eyes are crossing by the end of the day. I have to assume that I'm giving some of my organ system a rest. I got to assume that my kidneys are relieved. My pancreas is relieved. My stomach is relieved. Things are relieved. The caffeine, I'm drinking tea, which is caffeinated, but I'm off the coffee so I don't get that craving to match it. Every time you drink coffee, the caffeine wants to be matched. It wants to be matched by nicotine and and vice versa you do some nicotine it would it demands a match with caffeine it's just the way it works man it's the way it works for me i don't know who you are what your life is but that's the way it works over here um i'm gonna lay off getting all worked up about uh, the world today if, if you don't mind Because of the nicotine withdrawal and because I'm kind of floating, I don't seem to know what day it is or what time it is. I'm not as thorough in checking in. I'm feeling very in the in the moment when I'm driving because I'm withdrawing. You know, I'm taking unnecessary risks behind the wheel, not looking for thrills just because I'm so in the present. I think I got the timing aced. Everything's aced. When you're fucking amped up and your body's withdrawing and your whole being is craving for the outside world to make things right, you're checked in, man. You are tapped in. You are, you know, you are you know, hooked up with the timing of reality. So there's a moment of slow motion where you know, I'm changing lanes and making left turns I'm doing shit where I'm like, I don't even think, like, can I make it? I just think I'm making it. And uh, hopefully that doesn't backfire. But right now, I'm enjoying the zen. You dig? All right. Whew, boy. Yeah, a little disjointed with the nicotine. I'm also on Flonase. I've been having some sinus congestion. I hope that's what it is and not a tumor behind my face. Let's get on with it. Steve Jordan is here. He's a great drummer. And as I said, he's got a show on Sirius XM channel 106, called Laying It Down with Steve Jordan. He's got the... Uh, the new album with his band, The Verbs, called Garage Sale. He's a, produced a Robert Cray's new record, High Rhythm. That's out. But this is a this was a blast. This is a really fun conversation. Me and Steve Jordan. Casts, drummer. Nice to see you, Steve. Good to see you. Yeah, you, you're familiar to me from way back. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember there was a dreadlock period.
1: Uh, absolutely. That the <laughs> I was the first person to <laughs> wear dreadlocks on network television every day
0: uh, on the Letterman show. That's right. You were the first drummer for Letterman. I was the first drummer and,
1: uh, uh, yeah, co-founder of the World's Most Dangerous Band. With Paul. With Paul. I, actually, the band the band was actually a band called the 24th Street Band. We had a band. It was uh, Will Lee, Hiram Bullock, Clifford Carter, and myself. Yeah. And uh, when Paul was looking to uh, put together a band for the show, he came to me first, and then I suggested, why don't we just at Will and Hiram because we're already a band, right? So that's why we were so tight when we started. Oh, that's from how it worked. One, yeah, yeah, well. yeah, and we rehearsed in uh, in my home. Where? And, and fit, on Fifth Avenue. Oh yeah, yeah, in Manhattan. I have loft. And, yeah, and um,
0: you still have it.
1: Yes, we still have it. That's right. You know, <laughs> when you get a deal like that in yeah. Manhattan,
0: you keep it. You don't give it up.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, and we started rocking.
0: Yeah. So like. I remember seeing you, and I remember, you know, Dave always integrated the band into the conversation. Mm -hmm. He always talked to Paul, who, like, uh, over time developed a weird, stilted timing that (laughs) you didn't know. (laughs) It was always the assumption that he was high. Right. right, But, but, you know, I think it's just after talking to him, I think it's just the way he is. Yeah. Timing. Timing's everything. Yeah. Yeah. And his is a little off. Well, he's not a drummer. No.
1: (laughs) Most good comedians are drummers in their hearts yeah
0: yeah yeah i'm a you guitar know. player yeah well okay yeah all right and well, uh, but yeah no you got to know where the beats are yeah exactly. but it's a it's a different instrument mm-hmm. but uh, i've been you know getting you know who i ran into at the airport like i it's taken me years to appreciate music in, in a deeper way mm. uh like like i had this um i i ran into but anyways i ran into daryl daryl jones oh yeah my man yeah at the airport and he oh, recognized yeah. me and we were going to london and he was going to record and now we just sat down and talked for an hour oh. about uh about you know rhythm sections. He's a sweetheart. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I didn't one know he day. started with Miles. Why would I know that? Oh. That's one of those things that I wouldn't know and, and now I know it. And now I gotta go look for shit. Oh, totally. He's played with everyone, are you kidding? So have you. Well,
1: yeah. But uh he yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But and you yeah. played together with him too, right?
1: Absolutely. Recently. And uh in fact um, You know, I I like to think that, you know, that I was, uh, you know, I played kind of an instrumental, no pun intended, role in uh, getting him.
0: Into the Stones? Yeah.
1: Getting him that sweet gig? Yeah,
0: yeah. Filling in for Bill? Yeah. yeah, I brought that up with Keith Richards. Like, he got mad at me, too.
1: Uh, Not not hard to do uh, (laughs) when it comes to him getting mad.
0: Not really mad, but I Uh, said, like, I told him, I said, you know, I haven't seen the Stones live in a long time, and I was resistant because you know, you know, you know, Bill doesn't play with the Eddie board, and he's oh. like, he's like, Bill hasn't played with us in twenty years, <laughs> twenty five years. Yeah, exactly. And Daryl was a bass player. It's a, I got nothing? He had nothing personal against Bill, but it's like the bass player is thats our bass player You now.
1: know, it's a, we we both, Daryl and I both, are kind of shocked that it's been that long. You know, uh, the time has flown. It seems like he just joined the band yesterday. Same thing with Ron Wood. I mean, Ron, yeah. he is you know. You know, not an original member, but he's been in there for like 30 right. something years. And right. it's just like, it's yeah. almost like, yeah, he just left uh, Rod Stewart. And right. he's like, he just
0: joined this. Th- no, yeah, you know, right. that, that was 30 something years it ago. It was a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, But uh, but the conversation, and Keith is a good place to, to go with it, was that like, I, I guess I never understood, you know, as deeply as I do now from listening more intently over the last decade just you know how important and obviously you're going to think this is ridiculous that the rhythm section is the whole band and it's i mean in a lot of ways it's all of it Absolutely. i listened to yeah i, I listened to the reissue of uh get your yayas out mm-hmm. and i'm listening to charlie and bill and i'm like holy shit if they didn't keep this together it would be a disaster like it would be a disaster and and keith talks about that too in terms yeah. of charlie well
1: he, first of all uh his love for charlie is 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 really really deep yeah and, and they have a a connection that you know that is a bond that's unbreakable that's, oh yeah that's, that's, that's yeah that's the first thing uh but one one item of note is that uh Keith is a great bass player is he so he's played bass on exile. Street exile. fighting man yeah and he played bass on you know uh you know a lot um, of exile I know, think you know, yeah you know Jumper jack flash you know all that you know all that you know a lot of great bass playing was done by keith uh and and ron wood is a great bass player too so they know what the bass is the function of the bass right and 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 uh some of their most uh kind of rockiness tracks yeah were done with basically like keith and charlie you know alone and then they built off of stuff really yeah so Keith Keith um I don't think people realize the the magnitude of his brilliance you know in because the it's, studio
0: it's so simple in in what what's, what was awesome to me was when I saw them I went and saw them in the last tour at the beginning mm-hmm. is that they don't use any fucking backtracks you know they they just up there playing and it fills it's very simple stuff but it's it's the stones am I wrong no, you're not
1: wrong. There's, you know, the band has the chemistry. Uh, most great bands have
0: amazing chemistry. But and you've built stuff from the ground up with him. What is, what, tell me more about why he's misunderstood.
1: I, I think that, uh, you know, um, simplicity is sometimes uh, mistaken for uh, stupidity or whatever. You right. know, people, they're afraid to, to um, or they don't understand that less is more. Right. Space. And the space in the music is just as important as what you're playing. That's mm-hmm. all part of it. Mm-hmm. You don't, you take a canvas, you don't fill up the canvas with yeah. a bunch of paint. Right. You know, you, 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 you paint a picture. Right. You're playing the song. He plays the song. And of course, being such a great writer, yeah. he writes the song. Right. So the music is there. Yeah. And you don't just, fill in the space for the sake of filling in space you know like you know the word tacit is very important yeah in 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 syncopation right you know that's the whole thing the push and pull of rock and roll yeah 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 and um and you have that in obviously in jazz and blues it's the same thing you don't fill in every space no you want to hold back yeah oh yeah and 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 breathing is a, very important. It's the same thing in in, in, in symphonic music. Mm-hmm. When there's a space, it there's a space for reason. Yeah, so yeah. that when you do play something, it means something. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same thing for like, for drummers who play too many fills. Uh, you know. Well, so that means that nothing you you're playing really counts, really matters because you're playing too much. Right. But when you play something, when you don't play a lot, and you're just holding the groove down, and then when you do play that, whoa! Yeah, I mean, yeah. that must have been
0: that. That yeah, means something. That's yeah, wow. and it stands out. Right. Well, I mean, I want to talk to you about working with Chuck and and Keith because because Chuck's another guy where, you know, that rhythm is is a little like um, it's tricky, like the way he you know runs you know where he the way he hits that guitar. Absolutely. Well, he developed a style. Yeah. He
1: invented something. Yeah, but
0: that bounce. Yeah, you, well, I mean.
1: The, you know uh, uh, on a, a musical uh, description of that is you know, and this is where jazz comes into play yeah uh, in the in the uh, kind of development of rock and roll, right. So you have two of the main architects of rock and roll are Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Yeah, okay yeah, and they were playing uh, and at, at the risk of sounding too technical. They were playing like eighth notes, straight eighth notes. Right? Yeah. So either Chuck is playing that on guitar, yeah. or Little Richard on the piano, which is basically kind of a boogie woogie type of thing, you know, f- coming from what Fats Wild, you know, those yeah. guys, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Kinda- now, the drummers that were part of the development yeah. of this style. Rock, here's where the role comes in. Right. (laughs) They were playing what essentially is jazz against the straight eighth. They were playing what you call a dotted eighth notes. Yeah. <posing> ding, 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 ding. So now you have... <weave> yeah. And that's the push and pull. Right? right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just everybody going... Duh, 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 you know, it's not like, a, you know, a German marching band. You right, know? It's right. like yeah. No, it's swinging and it's doing that thing. That's where the drums come in. So like Earl Palmer who developed that thing with Little Richard. He was the drummer on yeah. all that Little Richard stuff, yeah. or most of it, not all of it. But um, he, all he ever wanted to be was Max Roach. Same thing with Charlie Watts. Yeah. They love Max Roach. They love Elvin Jones. They love, you know. And they so they were playing jazz against. Ding, ding, <laughs> ding. Same thing with Fred Bilo, who played... At Chess, who was the drummer who played with Chuck Chuck Berry and and Muddy Waters, and you know, and then that. So, his drumming with Willie Dixon on bass, Willie Dixon is walking. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. He's walking. He's jazz. He's playing jazz. Yeah, yeah. he's doing right. And so, that's where that is. So, that's. Well, that's what happened. That's it, the development of this new style born in America. It's got to rock and roll. That's the role against the rock.
0: It's gotta swing
1: though. It's got to swing.
0: Yeah, you know, some drummers can't do it.
1: Oh yeah. Well you know <laughs> yeah. And 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 that's how you get the the generic bar band sounding, the people who can't swing.
0: They're staying right on top of yeah, it. They right? they just go, that, that 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 you know, yeah.
1: everything is squared off. Right. You see, and yeah. and um and that's the thing. That is the uh that's the secret sauce. The swing. Yeah. The you got to be able to do it. Either you yeah, have it or swing. you don't. You,
0: exactly. And But like, you know, mentioning all these guys, where did you get educated? I mean, how did you come up? Where did you start? I was very, very fortunate.
1: Uh, I grew up in New York City. You did. And in New York City, uh, the uh, New York City Board of Education yeah. was uh, a, a tremendous source of of inspiration when it came to developing children in the arts. Yeah. And, you know, obviously uh, the arts have been under assault for the last 40 years in regards to public education. I went to a public school and-
0: Which one? Did you go to the fame school?
1: Uh, well, actually, I went to music and art high school, which is actually the fame school is performing arts. Okay. The performing arts is on Annex. Okay, oh, okay. yeah. You were the uh, original? Fiorello, H. LaGuardia- High School of Music and Art, yeah, was the main school, yeah, and it was right in the middle of City College yeah. in Harlem on 135th Street and Convent Avenue. But before we even got there, when you were in elementary school, you were the first day of school. You were given an, a musical instrument to take home, and and you you were assigned an instrument, that either was a violin or a clarinet or whatever. Yeah, and that was that's all part of developing uh, a full human being. Oh, absolutely. Wait. And you and were you were given drums? I wasn't given drums. I was I ended up playing in the percussion section. The right. first thing I ended started playing was actually the concert bass drum, then I graduated to to timpani and the timpani is really boom, where boom, I boom, re- boom. yeah. yeah. And, and so you know, my um, you know, my upbringing in 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 symphonic music is really where I get uh, developed. A discipline yeah right right and, so but and, that's
0: a, that's an important point that you know to engage in a musical instrument is part of a well-rounded person in a absolutely
1: way. so you either that or you were an art student or yeah. something but like but that was part of the arts yeah being a creative person is part of development of, of the total psyche of a human and uh you know unfortunately that's been under assault in the last 40 years and 30 and also years.
0: you know dismissed or just not found interesting I mean I get at some level I guess you know music's not for everybody but creativity and engaging your imagination and learning how to express yourself is certainly important and yeah, there does there does seem to be a shortage whether I, it's well, funding or not
1: well it's well, it's been taken it, it, it not even taken for granted it hasn't been really completely acknowledged by a certain group of people sure. who like
0: to right cut the budget cut the budget Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Know, you know yeah yeah they, they they see it as a waste yeah exactly Short-sized. i
1: mean I, I put it this way i am um, uh, a friend of mine took me to uh, an msnbc party yeah. uh, several years ago yeah and i'm uh, at this party and i'm talking to andrea mitchell and then uh and then she turns and she says oh meet You know, so-and-so, and and it's Alan Greenspan. Right. (laughs) You know, I had no idea that they were actually a couple at Uh the time. It was Uh like this, you know, I had no idea. Right. But the point is here is that, you know, he's a clarinet player. Yeah you know this is the guy who's you know telling everybody where the money is yeah he plays clarinet you know and i i I said you know you want to make a record you know i mean but the thing is he's (laughs) He's, he's, all of these people that i met they were all like musicians they either played an instrument or they they can't wait to to work is over until they can run to and and they have their own little bands and all kinds of stuff and here's a guy who all he wanted to be was Woody herman Uh you know or whatever you know uh, And and, uh, uh, Benny Goodman, you know, you know, and uh, but no, but he figured out what to do, and now he's the smartest guy when it comes to money. But that's all part of of the thing. In fact, uh, when I started reading music, yeah, I became a better a better math student timing because, and well know, because you have to read it's all yeah, num- numbers yeah, and, yeah. and 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 my mother was very frustrated with my math skills yeah I, at first and then i start and then I, and then i started reading music and i became a good reader and then my math got better so yeah. they're all there it's, they're all all it's all connected
0: but when you're coming up so you go you, you go to high school at the uh well so music and art high school i i auditioned for the school
1: and, and i and i got in
0: and who, like you know, at that point, you're you're playing timpani, timpani and uh, timpani and an orchestra. And, yes, okay. yes, uh,
1: timpani and concert snare drum. But I, no set. You don't have a set. I didn't get a set until um, right before I auditioned uh, for school. I never got a full set right away. In fact, uh, this is how um, what well, was missing. Well, this is this is how uh, I, I I acquired a, a kit. Yeah. Uh, when I started taking formal lessons when i was eight years old my grandmother and and she said okay uh, we'll buy you a snare drum uh it was 25 at that time that was a lot of money 25 dollars for a japanese snare drum zimgar yeah. gold sparkle snare drum and, <laughs> and it was like I, they weren't going to get me a drum unless i promised to take lessons and yeah I, so it be serious yeah so i got it so basically i i was given a piece at a time yeah I didn't get a whole kit, you know, uh-huh, it was uh-huh. like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I think that really, it was very astute, actually, uh, that whole concept. You know, like the carrot. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, if you really want it, then you'll keep working, and then we'll get you. Yeah, and, yeah. and,
0: and you're listening to music saying, like, well, I can't play that right until I get that. But uh, it's all simple. in my head. Yeah, I need a hi-hat. Yeah, I <laughs> didn't <laughs> get,
1: the hi-hat was one of the last things I got. Oh, my God. And, and the funny story about that is um, that I got a hi-hat and one of the first records I started playing to was of Family Stones, like Everybody Is A Star, and that kind of thing, and later on in life, I become friends, very good friends, with Gregorico, the original drummer, Uh and uh, he lent me his hi-hat cymbals they're the same hi hat symbols that I practiced to. Now I have the symbols. I actually own the symbols. They're yours. Yeah, yeah. He la- yeah. Is is that nutty or what? It's great. That's crazy.
0: Th- those are those are magical items. Absolutely. And when you go when you when you get into you know the big time into high school, I mean, who are your you know teachers? Who's influencing you? Is it always? Is it you know coming out of symphony? I mean, do you do you gravitate towards jazz? Are you listening to Art Blakey and those guys?
1: Listen. The first thing I ever learned on the drums was Art Blakey's Blues March, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, written by the great Benny Gol- Golson. Yeah. And um, my dad, who's an architect, engineer, kind of cat, he said to me, if you uh, learn how to play Blues March, you'll be able to play anything. And that was, once again, another very astute uh, comment because yeah. it not only did it swing, but it had... All the hands, you know, and to so develop dexterity. and then there was a solo in it and you know if you learn the solo, you get your not only your type of improvisation chops together, but you know you listen so you get your memory together. yeah and 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 uh, you know the memory thing is very important in music as well. When you're playing symphonic music and you're playing the timpani, you learn the music. Because you don't want to, you're not going to count 500 bars until you come in. You play like, you know, you you play a total of like four measures the whole freaking piece. You're not going to, you know, you better learn the music because you're gonna. If you miss counting one bar, you coming in in the wrong bar, you're screwed, right? You don't want to fuck up your four beats. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So you learn the music. Oh no! Exactly, you know. (laughs) You know, the the whole orchestra turns around and
0: looks at you. Yeah, you idiot. Your two notes. Your, your two, two notes, th- you
1: blew that, yeah.
0: But so did you gr- grow any sort of affinity for classical music? Yeah, I, I love Mozart. And you understand yeah. it? I do.
1: And uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate. Because
0: um, I can listen to it, but not unlike jazz. You, you know, like I would have to go... To, you know, I think music is, is always accessible in that, you know, either you, you got a brain that takes it in and says, right. like, I, I can do this. You know, some music, you know, like, I don't like this, whatever. But, it, you know, to really understand classical, I think that's sort of, uh, it, it takes a little research.
1: Well, it's kind of very, it depends on what what uh, the definition of understand really is. I guess is. so, You yeah. know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, it's not like a lot of people understand jazz when they're listening to it either, but they know that they like it, whether it's a beat or whether it's the freedom of the improvisation. Right, right. But it's very much based on on symphonic music. A lot of jazz is it? Yeah, because you know you have to learn. You mean you know, like when big you're band playing, jazz? When you're playing through, if you're uh, soloing, yeah. If you're uh, the art of improvisation, uh, whether it's playing uh, through chord changes, yeah. You have to have that kind of knowledge that you would have if you were a, a classical musician, because you know you have to know, uh, you know, uh, obviously when a large. When coming. Well, yeah, you have to know what chords do. Yeah. And what notes are in those chords?
0: Yeah, but but like also, but with blues, you know, you're, you're talking about three chords, maybe right, maybe right, four. Right. <laughs> right. If you're lucky. <laughs> if you want to make it a soul song, you yeah, yeah. throw that other one in the minor right yeah there you go yeah (laughs) and and then you know you kind of know when those are coming is it eight or twelve or what but like like with with jazz like even something that paul schaefer said in here you you know uh that miles said to him like he had one experience with miles where they Mm -hmm. talked and i guess miles said you know don't play the the bass don't play the the root right don't play the root play around it right and and that you know to paul was like oh you know, like, sure. I, I don't know what that means exactly, but I kind of get it. Right. Well, you know, yeah, and well, that, that, but that seems to be not necessarily, you know, symphonic knowledge, but, but kind of blues knowledge, you know, or, or maybe not, maybe that's jazz knowledge. Well, I don't know. That's a combination. It's a combination of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're taking lessons, do you take lessons at, at in high school from any dudes that were like real dudes?
1: Yeah. In fact, um, uh, here again, another, uh, amazing. And did you master thing that pe-
0: Art Blakey thing?
1: I did, and how old were you? I was about. Uh, I got it down like when I was about ten. Ten? Yeah.
0: And you, what you spent a year on it?
1: Well, you know, off and on. You know, just getting <laughs> it. Well, see, because I'm growing up, I got the, I got Ringo in one ear, I got Tony Williams in the other, ear, I got Benny Benjamin, Al Jackson, you know, Clyde Stubberfield. I'm listening to all, my uh, all music because we the music was prevalent in the household. Mm. My dad's favorite trumpet player was Clifford Brown. Then he was killed in a tragic car accident. So then he switched his allegiance to Miles. So there was Miles Davis playing. I'm a the, I'm a
0: newly baptized Lee Morgan guy.
1: Okay, so <laughs> my first. Okay, so so um, one day my I, I'm going to my first uh visit to Music and Art High School. Yeah, and it's in Harlem, as I said earlier. It's on 135th Street and Convent Avenue. My grandmother uh, lived on 156th and, and St. Nicholas. And so uh, my dad, who worked in the municipal building downtown, he said, Look, after, work, after you go to school, uh, go to your grandmother's house. There's a jazz mobile uh, on 155th Street. And we'll go check out the Jazzmobile concert that night. It'll be Dizzy Gillespie's big band. Yeah, and what the Jazzmobile was a foundation that taught uh, jazz to kids in schools and and uh, obviously a great educational uh, program. And they would do block parties. It yeah, was, you know, block up the street and then have free concerts. So I go to my grandmother's uh, earlier that day. Um, I I I go and I have my first experience at music and art and I was told to come there because uh the jazz band, they had a jazz band, and the r- rumor had it that the drummer who was in the jazz band the term before was moving out of New York, moving yeah. down south and maybe if I came you uh I would have a shot of possibly getting in or mm-hmm. uh, at least auditioning. So I get there, and the conductor is this uh, cat. I've never seen a guy that looked like this before. He's a really cool looking dude. He had kind of like hexagon <laughs> sunglasses, yeah. a, a crisp white shirt with bell bottoms, blue bell bottoms with bold white stripes, and brown kind of floor shine Chelsea boot kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Like, wild looking cat. You know, I'm like, yeah. wow. Is this like, this is gonna be like, this is a teacher? Yeah, wow, this yeah. is amazing. Music yeah. and art this is already the most incredible thing and experience <laughs> I've ever had. And it's like I don't even know anything yet. I mean And so and I'm so I have this guy in my head and I like wow, this is wild. So I'm telling my grandmother and everything. So then we we go, my dad gets to her house and he takes me around the block and we go see Dizzy's big band. Yeah. And I'm always going right up to the front. I want to see who's playing what or whatever. And I don't really know anything, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to. And I look up at the trumpet section and I turn to my father. I said, dad, that's my teacher. That's
0: my teacher. I I met him today. It was Lee Morgan. No shit. Wow. So you played in a band conducted by Lee Morgan? Just just for, And he was killed that summer,
1: actually. Yeah. So was that, slugs, like, 70... Slugs. 70, what
0: was that? What year,
1: 60-something? No, it was 72 two or three. Yeah. 71, 72. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I, I did get a chance to, so, you know, Lee Morgan. Wow. And, um, and, you know, in that band, that was the first time I saw the great Mickey Roker, who just passed away two weeks ago. Incredible drummer um, and, a, and an inspiration. And so that's New York. Yeah. You know, so... By and so you know that's the whole experience. All the players that were at Music and Art High School—they're all. A lot of them have gone on to to big things, to really big things. Well, I
0: like the idea that, like you you know, to to commit to a piece when you're young and say, like, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta learn this. Is that like because I always used to believe for years, but you know I'm I'm just in you know, I just play I'm not a professional musician that that in order to understand the blues if you can't make rolling and tumbling your own right sure yeah like whatever that is right you know I, right. I you can you, you can't play it like Muddy did or or whatever though that that's a beautiful slide but that somehow that song was a portal mm-hmm. in my mind totally to understanding it so. Right. For and, and I think Keith did it with 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 uh, Jimmy Reed and Chuck. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Is like, I'm going to do this right. I you know right. it's, it, it's not going to sound like him, even though you may think it does or whatever. But it, the more important thing is is to to own it. So, own it and try to understand
1: it. Try yeah. to get into the mindset. You know, a lot of my favorite players, and especially when I got to see them play, because that's another great thing about New York. Yeah. You could actually go and see these all legends the all the time. It's crazy. And then you get into, like, wow, well, how are they feeling? Okay, now not just listening to them, I can actually see them as well. That's incredible. And then you start mimicking them or whatever right. you know, right, right. it takes to Little get to. Until you get to where you're going. Sure. You know? Sure. And, and and another great experience about uh, being in New York,
0: you know? yeah. You and, know? and like with drums, like because it, it's not my instrument, I don't think I've ever really talked to a drummer at length. Is that um? Well, first of all, I guess one thing you learn is that you get to spend time and be mentored by brilliant players. Right. But you also realize, like, maybe jazz isn't a great living. <laughs> <laughs> that, that
1: too. Sonny Rollins was very upset with me when I left and went. It started playing, with, you know, oh, the, ro- the Rolling Stones. He was like, "Oh, I know you got to be, you know, you are going to be a rock star, yeah, you know, whatever." But uh, you played
0: with Rollins with, Sonny? yeah.
1: I, I, in fact, uh, I played with Sonny. I started playing with Sonny when I was about uh, eighteen, nineteen years old, and uh, we. I worked with him off and on the rest of my life basically he just stopped playing only a few years ago and well, I played it, with him right up until that point
0: right and in I'll jazz play. like I guess the question I was I was about to ask is like you know once you learn the basics you know what are these you know tidbits of wisdom that you 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 gain from these these masters like you know like I I mean I I know with with guitar you know like I can go over and Jimmy Vivina will show me a lick and mm-hmm. I'm like and I'll I'll just work with it for a year. Like, you know, right, he'll sure. show me two blues wicks and I'm right. like, oh, that's that's how you get to that other thing. Right, sure. And and that's that. I mean, is it the same with drums? Um, you try to work out
1: a vocabulary of stuff that you can go to for sure. Yeah. But the main thing when most uh great jazz musicians, most leaders, they want it to feel good. They don't want somebody to just play a bunch of extraneous stuff, right? You know, yeah. Uh, and um, so my relationship with Sonny, in particular, is he he enjoyed my groove, so to speak, yeah. In my pocket, as you would say, right? And because you see, Sonny Rollins is from the Caribbean, yeah. And my roots are Caribbean as well, and he. You know he's written the most famous calypso ever, Saint Thomas. Yeah. So his his go to thing is a calypso. Yeah. No matter all the great jazz and everything that uh, that he uh, has been responsible for. Yeah. And all this brilliant stuff, his go to thing is a down home calypso. Yeah. And and that's a rhythm. And and that is a rhythm, and that is a kind of and these. Calypso tunes are very—they're melodic, they're fun, yeah—and they bring up tempo, high spirits, yeah, yeah, into your soul, right? And that's 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 his root. You that's know, the calypso that, delivery system. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> up tempo, high spirits into your soul. What does right. calypso do? Yeah. Oh, well, they, yeah, well, if you they, need boom. up tempo, yeah, high yeah, spirits exactly. in your soul, and you dance, yeah. you know,
1: and and it makes you dance. What is that beat? What what? what
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. at the root of him. That's that's him. So like if you were if you know, if you guys were working out some shit, he he would say like, you know, you know, pop that up a little bit. Well, like, when you, we
1: when we would play Calypso during a show, and usually it's toward the end of the show cuz it kind of has that finale feeling and you yeah. get the crowd into it after he's played all this incredible stuff all night and yeah, people yeah. trying to figure it out and everything. <laughs> yeah, like, like what that. just then, happened? Yeah, exactly, and then he gets into playing one of his great calypsos. And I would think of it as almost like uh, the hip-hop section of the concert, where it was <laughs> right, just right. like, okay, we're, I'm going right. to lay this calypso beat down, yeah, yeah. and he's going to play forever, and we're going to get the crowd going, and the people will be standing and dancing and freaking out, yeah at a Sonny Rollins concert.
0: Right, because now they can like get out of their heads. They can head. get out of their heads and just get into the rhythm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, you know, yep. They sweat through the first hour. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Try to figure out taking notes. <laughs> you know, what, the, yeah. what happened there,
0: I And go. then yeah. you just kick in with a calypso yeah. beat, I like, oh, thank uh-huh, God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But that's an important part about, you know, show business. It's sort of like right. you, you want to close strong. Yeah, that, you there want, you go. You want them to leave uh, not dancing, not going like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. My, yeah. No, my brain hurts. Yeah, oh, yeah. they got way out there. <laughs> <laughs> way oh, out there, like, man. Whoa. What happened? I don't know if I can stand that again.
0: Yeah, because I listen to like sometimes I got it. Now, see, now I'm going to go listen to Rollins. And I'm fortunate that I have like a handful of Rollins records in there that right. I have not paid proper attention to because I didn't know this key bit of information. Absolutely. So now I go in there with the Calypso information and, the you know, the uptempo, you know, elevating the soul business. And now I'm going to like I'm going to look through that prism. Right. And I'm going to see And, you it. know,
1: when, when so Max Rhodes plays drums on St. Thomas. Yeah. Which is basically the most famous Calypso ever written. But he's not really playing a calypso beat. He's playing more like a almost like a Latin y type of beat. Yeah. It's not a real a Caribbean yeah. type of calypso, you know. Right. So if you you wanna hear some real calypso stuff, you have to, you know, dig into that. Right. Like, you know, like uh uh the mighty sparrow you okay. know, and stuff, you know. Yeah, that's that's yeah. it? Yeah. That that, that yeah. I'll just yeah. be
0: flying around. Yeah, exactly. It'll take yeah, me yeah, out. Yeah. yeah yeah so what what does it because like your groove your pocket if i recall correctly in whatever my first experience of watching you play was it has a lot to do with the snare right (laughs) that (laughs) was the
1: loudest thing on television that's (laughs) for sure yeah i used to carry the snare drum around with me too (laughs) there was a drum that was made for me um uh, it was very funny uh, a friend of mine, uh, Danny Gottlieb, who's most famous for playing
0: with the uh, 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 Pat Metheny group. Oh, yeah. I, I See, I missed the whole Metheny yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: So he played with Pat Metheny. I have Matheny. a problem with
0: fusion. I'll put it right out there. Right. Well, he's
1: that, that wasn't really fusion. That was kind of... Um, that was post-fusion, thank goodness.
0: Well, it, got, it, it it seemed a little soft to me for some
1: Well, reason. yeah. That was like a kind of... Eerie, spacier yeah. kind yeah. of thing, even though there were changes involved, but uh, but there was more breathing room mm-hmm. in there. And so anyway, at a party, it was, I was having a birthday party, and uh, he said, uh, Danny said, oh, if you had your ultimate snare drum, what would it be? And I just made up some stuff, you know, yeah, 15 plies of this, and <laughs> eight <laughs> coats of polyurethane over yeah. here, yeah, and, yeah. and he had the drum made for me. And uh, it was made by Joe McSweeney uh, for a uh, a boutique drum company called Ames Drums out of Massachusetts. And it was a powerhouse, This snare drum. It was a tank, exactly. (laughs) It was a tank. And so for a couple of years- I didn't read it wrong. No, you did not. And uh, for a couple of years, (laughs) I carried that drum around with me. You know, I didn't even take- clothing. I yeah, was just, just have a trip mag- somewhere I just a freaking snare drum case. Magic so, drum. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know a lot of drummers you know they have a cymbal bag, you know, I didn't just cymbal no just the <laughs> snare drum. And so that's what you heard on the Letterman show yeah and I would, you know, go. So when we started doing Letterman, yeah. My my first experience of playing live television was, you know, I was in the original Saturday Night Live band. I was the second drummer in that band. The first drummer was a guy named Daud Shah. I was the second drummer. Se- I came in in 76? In the, I came in in 77 with Bill Murray, the third okay. season. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so my. But you'd
0: already been recording before that?
1: I'd, I'd started recording maybe just a couple of years earlier. Um, um,
0: yeah. With jazz? I,
1: um, actually, my first recording session was with basically half of Wonderlove, Stevie Wonder's group. It was with Michael Cimbello Nathan Watts, who had just gotten a job with Stevie. Yeah. Carlos Alomar, who, the guitar, know, player. The guitar yeah. player, David How's Bowie. How's he doing? He's doing Rob? great.
0: He's so a great. wizard. He's a wizard. Yeah,
1: the, uh, Carlos and his wife, Robin Clark, you know, the great singer. uh uh-huh. And, you know, part of the reason why Bowie went R&B, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, Carlos. Carlos was
0: on the. Uh, he co-wrote Fame. Okay, uh, yeah. so that was his previous yeah. to Let's Dance. I remember seeing Carlos. Oh, way Boa. before Let's yeah, Dance. Yeah. I mean, like, Carlos,
1: Carlos is, you know, young Americans and all that yeah.
0: stuff. Stevie Ray, I think, played on Let's Dance. Yes, he did. Yes, yes he did. Odd pairing. Yeah. Unbelievable playing. Oh, God. What a solo. Yeah. I mean, that was,
1: you know. Like, on Let's well, Dance? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, amazing. Incredible. So that was my first session. Yeah. Um, with Stevie or no Stevie? Uh, no Stevie. It was with a guy who played a uh, saxophone with Stevie, um, who took Trevor Lawrence's place, actually, a guy named Danny Morales, and he put together so my first session was in Studio B at Electric Lady. oh yeah, and you know th- that's my very first recording session. that's the magic studio and that it's the... a magic studio, and it's a ma and uh, going in there, and I thought, okay, this is this is what I want to be doing, and
0: spaces uh, yeah. are magic, I think
1: absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean. You go to Abbey Road, you go to Capitol, you go to Royal Studios in Memphis, you go to visit 2120 in Chicago, you know, uh, there are places, you know, even like in New York uh, right now, if you're not going to Avatar, which used to be Power Station, you can go to brooklyn recording and brooklyn great and those, recording those, studio or germano studios and in, in they new hold York. the
0: space they hold the ghosts right you know they, they they hold
1: have- the go and there's something you know the environment yeah. is there and especially well you're talking about holding the ghosts royal studios is and that's where you did it, the new robert cray record yes exactly yeah. and, and was that a
0: stacks outlet no it
1: was high record high re- high records yeah that, that's where willie mitchell that was his studio and he developed the, the, you know, he tuned that room. He It was an old movie theater. Okay. And uh, much like uh, the original Stacks yeah. was a, a movie theater. And he just uh, built that room and tuned it every day, meaning just tweaking every yeah. corner of it. And oh, yeah. Putting up wool hair and. You know, and it's still all there. It's still all there, uh, uh, you know, augmented by several cobwebs and corners. It's, and oh, stuff, really? Which, yeah. which we don't touch. Yeah, no, you can't. And and it's an amazing. Oh, that's that's the only place in the world that sounds like that. No shit. You know, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of great studios still around. You know, uh, you know, Blackbird Studios in Nashville. You know, great studio, but there are certain studios that have a thing. Yeah, that um, that only. That studio has. It's only gonna, you can only can yeah. get that sound you can there. Only get that sound there. You can try. A lot of people try it, and you can. Sure, there's people are like you yeah. can do it on the computer. Yeah, yeah. oh no, god, no. please, no. Don't, no. let's not go there. You can't. Uh, you, you know. So yeah, yeah. So
0: all right. So you did a little recording before, and then you're you do you're in the second wave of the SNL band, yeah. Which is the Booze Brothers band, but it's, it's Lou Marine, like Blue right, Lou Bones, yeah, you know, and the
1: whole thing. So the reason why I brought it up is because when I first walked in there. There were two mics on the drums. Yeah. that's it. You know, one the fifty-seven and the kick drum and a fifty-seven overhead. Not even a snare drum. Mic. I had to lobby to get a snare drum mic. You know, that's
0: another fifty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> they couldn't throw Exactly, another dollars. Another
1: fifty-seven, and the and the engineer was a guy named Bob Lifton who yeah. like started with Milton Berle. You know right. what I mean? I mean it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know? yeah. And so when we the first day I go into uh, to do Letterman, and I walk in. And they're like, the, all the drums are mic'd with Sennheiser 421s and it's an yeah. RE20 yeah. and the, on the bass drum. I'm going, holy cow, this is amazing. Yeah. And there was a, a, an engineer, her name was Pam Gibson. Yeah. Or her name is Pam Gibson. Yeah. And she was the one that got that great sound. And oh, it was yeah. no it had never been done on television before where drums were actually mic'd. Like they were in a recording studio, so that is why the that four piece band, Killed besides it. the fact that we were already a band, yeah, sounded so good, yeah. And so now, couple that with this, this you know tank of a snare drum, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's all you heard, basically, go pow, you know? <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, so every night, you know, between the dreadlocks and the snare drum. <laughs> You were that there. That was good. I, I remember, man. That was good. I
0: remember Hiram too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No no shoes.
0: Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It was a great band, you know, great watching that, that show. And just the, the, the juxtaposition between you cats and, and Letterman, you know, right. who played this kind of like totally. you, you know, kind of cranky broadcaster right. fella. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was groundbreaking. Yeah. But you were on that. You did the the SNL stuff. So you backed everybody, you know, at, at different points who came through the show. But you were also in that Blues Brothers band. Right. But were you in the movie? No, I did not do the film. Who was drummer on that?
1: Uh, the drummer who I can't the Willie Hall, the great oh. Willie uh, Willie Hall, who played drums on Shaft. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But he, yeah, he took my play. I didn't do it. Um. I, the 24th Street Band, we had our first offer to play in Japan. You, Will, and Hiram? Yes. With Cliff Carter. And and that we, was
0: all music? It was no singing?
1: No, it was singing. Right. We were all singers. Okay. And we were like the East Coast Toto without the songs. Oh, boy. <laughs> without the, <laughs> nothing you know, good, the. Nothing good about what you just yeah, said. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> you know you know but david page <laughs> you're so bad david page you know i mean you know those guys played jeff percaro they played yeah. on a lot of great records yeah. and they were a great rhythm section the way jeff Picaro played on the steely dan records sure. and boss gags and all that stuff and so they 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 played they were the backbone of a lot of records coming out of la that were good yeah and then mentoto uh came out you know they they basically took that thing and then they did the thing so we we were playing on a lot of records ourselves but we didn't have the the hits we didn't have yeah, the hits so, right so, so so anyway but so, you had a following you could but play in- we did have a following and we played so we had to. we were big in japan sure. so we 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 had a tour booked and the blues brothers movie was booked now yeah. um you know in film as you may or may not know everything takes eight times as long and everybody everything is blah 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 so um we had a tour and I could have done the tour and then been on the set and it would have been fine but the producer said no everybody has to be on the set at the same time it was completely ridiculous and uh I felt it was more important for me to do this tour because I was in a real band yeah I really wanted it to happen yeah so um John was a little upset with me but I had a conversation with Dan Aykroyd the night before I made the the final decision, and he understood that I wanted to pursue uh, the your goal. own career. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. As
0: opposed to you know this half comedy, half you know. Well,
1: you know I have the original script, which is nothing like the actual. Is that true? One. Is it yeah, better or worse? Yeah, it's it's better. It's it's more clever. Danny is very smart. Yeah. Person, well that was it
0: was it. interesting about the record and also not so i guess the movie but was that you know they developed this this comedic duo but you, you guys played real shit you well, know see
1: the here's the difference and this was part of the frustration when we cut uh brief pace full of blues that's a good record it's a it's 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 wonderful and we have great we have legendary players yeah oh you yeah know? yeah and mac so guitar the, murphy yeah when <laughs> when we played the whole the energy was unbelievable. When we when we did that first record, we were playing the Universal Amphitheater before there was a roof on it. Yeah, and we were sound checking. We were, you know, Bob Hope was complaining we were too loud. You yeah, know, the whole thing because his house is right behind the, the amphitheater, and the energy was amazing. People didn't know what they were gonna see. We were opening for Steve Martin, who was the hottest thing in entertainment at the time. Yeah, and so you know, you have this thing where. You're going to see this Blues Brothers thing, but you don't really know what it's going to be. Now, we had played as the Blues Brothers on the last show of the season before. Yeah. So uh, the third season, we played Hey Bartender. Like 77? Uh, yeah. Uh, we played Hey Bartender and we uh, with the Saturday Night Live band. Yeah. And I was in that band as well. Right. Uh, and then John put together the Blues Brothers band that summer. Yeah. And we recorded the And he was serious album. about it. He was very serious about it. He loved the blues. He befriended this guy Curtis Salgado, who kind of sh- showed him the ropes, played him all the music, and yeah. he just fell in love with it. And being from Chicago and the whole Chicago blues thing, yeah, and it was pretty intense. So you know, we 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 did the 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 record, and um you know the record came out and it went to number one in seven weeks we had a number one album yeah oh, we were like platinum <laughs> and they're giving us like platinum records at the radio and records convention you know it yeah. was unbelievable so now the film and
0: so the 24th street band at that point yeah
1: is it? well well, yeah I was still well I remember playing the record for Hiram you know and everything and I was very excited but anyway so so now well, we could still do the thing with, yeah and, and uh, uh, but the film deal was signed before we sure. made the record yeah uh, but uh, you know, it was the whole John Landis yeah. kind of thing, yeah, yeah. and it was just different from my way of thinking. And I'm thinking well, we made a real live record. Yeah, it's actually a good record. A good record. It's yeah. Number one. Yeah, it, we, you, you, we should think about you the did music. Job. Yeah, right. we did, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, the music does warrant something, I mean, it's helping sure the life of this film. Uh, but the musicians got no respect. So basically, um, I opted to. Be do a music. real musician, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so I didn't do the film. Neither did uh, Paul Schaefer and neither
0: did Tom Scott.
1: We call ourselves the, the
0: the triangle. So you do that stuff with SNL. You do Letterman, and now like you work with Booker T. Too, right? Yeah, that, you know that's good. But then I remember you showing up on Talk Is Cheap because I'm like, God's the dude from the Letterman show. He's a great drummer. He's like the best. And now you're playing with Keith, and that record's a good record. Yeah, it is. It's a fucking great record, man. Yeah. Locked away. Come on. That's a beautiful song, right? Yeah, yeah. So how does that happen? Because I, I would, I would assume that looking at what you're doing now and and sort of like that part of your career, the relationship with Keith was is a big deal. I mean, that was a big chunk of the what you were doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was another commitment when I when I I started leaving Letterman. Yeah, I would take leaves of absence to you know, do to, sessions. To, to to go. I... You know, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. Worked with Neil Young, Stevie Nicks, really, Don Henley. Oh no, and kidding! All that and and doing I, what? Uh, playing playing on records and uh actually co-wrote a song on Henley's uh, End of the Innocence album called Shangri La. Wrote that with Danny Korchmar.
0: And he's a drummer.
1: Oh Henley, yeah, oh yeah, Henley, uh, very underrated. Yeah, drummer. You know, and, he's good and, man. And, uh, of course, one of our most unbelievable singers yep. ever, and yeah. great writer. So
0: you're and, doing you're you're you know, in demand, and you're working. I'm working a lot. What'd you and, do with Neil?
1: And uh, we did a record called Landing on Water, mm-hmm. that uh, his comeback rock album, after he did a rockabilly thing in a country thing, oh, yeah. and David yeah. Geffen was so upset with him because he was, thought he was signing like Neil <laughs> Young, yeah. and then he got this other thing. That, yeah, the, I remember you know, the rockabilly the, thing. And, and, the, and the, he freaked out. But we did this record, Danny Korchmar, Neil, and I, as a trio Called "Landing on Water," which is kind of a has a very a, a serious cult following, and uh, I don't have that record. Yeah, and I talked to him about it. It's pretty
0: a pretty wild record. And, and working with Neil, that's sort of like he's a, a genius in his own incredible, like, incredible. Like, what kind of instruction or what was what was that dynamic like in terms of what you have to do to accommodate Neil Young? I just had to be me. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm. I play songs first, and uh, and it's all about the feel. And we just got on right away because he's like a. A lot of these guys and gals are just like, um, they, they're like, one person bands, you right? Know? You know, when you see Neil Young play solo or Bruce Springsteen solo or whatever they're like a band sure and you know it could go on for a while with <laughs> <you know? laughs> <Andrews. laughs> yeah yeah they can just play all night you know what i mean with no problem yeah no problem yeah yeah so anyway so when um when i hooked up with keith it, it was a weird thing uh going back to the saturday night live days i had uh i was uh doing the the show that the Stones appeared on, which was the fourth uh the first show of the fourth season. Uh, when when they
0: did Shattered and, yes. and Beast of Burden? Right. Yeah. Uh and The pants, the weird pants that Mick <laughs> wore in the hat. Yeah. <laughs> like we were all kinda like, What's happening? What? What's going on? What's going on here? So
1: uh, there was a lot of security, a lot of hoopla, trying to keep people away from the band. I wasn't interested because all I was interested is the Yankees were in the American League Championship Series. And so I was just in the the band dressing room, which was called the Departure Lounge. And I'm up there. I'm watching the game. I don't really care about what's going on (laughs) down there. I could care less. And then all of a sudden, uh, Charlie Watts, who wanted to find me, comes in the dressing room. And he said, "Oh, what are you doing?" You know, and I said, uh, "You know, I'm just watching a baseball game, and and uh, and the, nobody's in the dressing room but me. That you know, yeah. everybody's trying to get close to, you know, the, yeah, you yeah. Know, and I, yeah. I don't care. So um, I'm watching the game, and he sits down next to me, and and so like I'm watching like the Yankees and I think the Royals or something. You know, with with Charlie White, yeah. And he's trying to figure it out, and he goes oh wrong. it's like a combination of rounders and cricket <laughs> and so yeah i guess so you know yeah. yeah and that's when uh we became friends yeah so cut to like eighty four, 85 and uh i'm in paris doing a record with a, a duran duran offshoot band called arcadia with simon LeBond and nick rhodes Wow. And so we're there. Yeah, exactly. So I'm there. <laughs>
0: Gig's a gig, yeah, right? Yeah, gig is a gig, right? <laughs>
1: so I'm there, and I'm in Paris. I mean, you can't really go right. wrong. Right, yeah. So um, I'm there, and, you know, road crews talk to each other a lot. You yeah. know, oh, we have the night off. Yeah, we're gonna, you know, so that crew knew that crew, and the Stones were recording at Pathé Marconi, EMI. And uh, so it was a full moon, and... One thing led to another, and Charlie invited me to the studio. So I what go. What album? Uh, this was Dirty Work. Yeah. So they were doing pre-production uh, to Dirty Work, which is the way they do pre-production. It's is, is it basically uh, recording for any other unit, right? You know, but yeah. their whole pre-production thing is like, yeah, we're gonna go and record for a few weeks, and then figure out what we have, and then come back. Right. So it's kind. It's winter. I go. I get in a cab. I speak no French. The driver speaks no English. Takes me to the suburb of Paris. He dumps me all the call boxes are broken i'm freezing because i'm underdressed because i'm rock and roll so i'm underdressed yeah. and then and, and uh, i'm walking out there and i think i'm gonna get arrested for loitering or something <laughs> yeah, you know it's, yeah. it's really bad yeah I'm close to tears <laughs> and then i i got to really yeah. hunker down here and i start to listen to see if i can hear some music and i just hear something faint in the background i just follow the sounds and i go down an alleyway and i go up the street and the, and boom, and lo and behold, I look up, and it's EMI Yeah. card. Big glass yeah. door, doors. And and I go up to and the door, and and I hear the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I just can't believe it. I knock on the glass, and this little guy comes in. And he goes, monsieur. You know, yeah. And I go, yeah, I'm here to see the Stones. And the guy opens the door and lets me in. I'm like, yeah, really high security. This is great. I walk in the control room, and the Stones are playing. And they're set up like they're live. It's not like they're all sitting there. They're standing up. They're playing like it's a gig. Yeah, and I can't believe it. Yeah, and I'm I'm crying. I just can't believe because I've never seen them play live. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you,
0: you ignored them on SNL, but yeah, now, yeah. Now, now I'm in tears. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so now the song is over. They're you know they play for X amount of time and then and it's like, yeah go in. So I go in and everybody greets me and, yeah. and it's just a wonderful thing. And that's when. When it all started, I started working with them. From that point on, I would go every other night. Ian Stewart would call me up and go, oh, the boys need you tonight. And I would go in, because Mick uh, would uh, arrive every other night. Yeah. So on those off nights, I would go, and I didn't want to play drums. Charlie said, you know, play some drums. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. If I'm As a Stones fan... If I know that you're alive and some guy is playing the drums, I shoot that guy because yeah, yeah. it's like, why are you doing that? <laughs> so I played like percussion, I sang background. Sometimes I did some mock lead vocals for some songs, yeah. and 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 just you know, and got to know them all, and um, and uh, uh, and that's when I first heard Keith sing in a lower register. On there's a song on that album called "Sleep Tonight," yeah. You gotta get some sleep tonight. Yeah, and I thought, wow, if I ever work with this guy, I'm gonna get him down get there. Get him down there. Yeah, and which led to make no mistake, make no mistake. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: What a sound.
1: Yeah, you know, different than the yeah. the octave. Kind we,
0: of. we can hear all of the dark wisdom. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah.
1: What a mysterious. What a what right. a thing. Right. And so that's when I first heard that, and uh, you know, I think you know, to myself when I first saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, little did I know that he'd end up like being like a big brother. You know, I mean I it,
0: Yeah. I imagine very, that went both ways though. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> the brother the like, well, Come on Keith. I, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um there was a lot of that. Um you know I can't imagine you know, the sort of like you know I, I mean I talked to him but it was like I don't know I thought it was a good interview, but it was just basically me grinning <laughs> You know, for for an hour going really, they you know, <laughs> but like uh, he's, a, he's a smart dude. Well, that's the thing. Like he's I've so been a Stones fan my whole life, and then I read that fucking book. You know, you go through your whole life thing, like this guy, he's a quintessential junkie guitar player, and then you read that book, you're like, he's oh a no, smart man, he knows a lot. He's I like, mean,
1: a, you know, we go to the Caribbean, and we go to and and we be on the beach, yeah, and. We be reading like books, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and he's like, he go to the beach with a freaking book the yeah. size of a, you know, a dictionary. Yeah, you know, no. that's what he's doing. Not like yeah, with just, a tons of drinks and yeah, uh, yeah, chasing half a you No, no, he's, he's no, he's
0: like reading. Well, I mean, his knowledge of music and like, you know, what's always interesting. Is that it's like he can, like, he plays Keith Richards, but he can play other shit. Like I mean, he can play, like you know, yeah, but you know, but he absolutely. plays the way Keith Richards plays. But right. if you say like, well, if he's like referring to Robert Johnson or something, he'll, right? He'll lay it out.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> he can absolutely. do it. Yeah. yeah,
0: but but so like when you did um, talk is cheap. I mean that you were you were writing with him. Yeah, we were in. The, we in fact, uh, uh, the story goes that the
1: first writing session that we did. um we just went in and we started playing together right and apparently we were in there for like 13 hours without a pee break you know? right we just is that went true in. yeah I think so I mean that I kind of, it's all hazy to me I know that um i I joke about him cutting at least five years off of my life because of this it's smoking yeah. secondhand smoke I would leave working with him with a pain in my chest okay because okay, you know, yeah, yeah because you know it's like
0: I'm like I'm looking at this at the <clears throat> at the songs and like I know this record really well. Right. Like I listened to the shit out of this record because right. I was a big Stones guy, but I was a huge Keith guy, and I remember like is Bootsy Collins on it, right? Yeah, on the first cut. Yeah, <laughs> like I remember big that. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you come in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Bootsy, you know, boot there like two lives of Bootsy. There's like the James Brown life. And then there's Bootsy's solo life, which yeah. is a whole different thing. Yeah, and it became like the Jimi Hendrix of the bass.
0: Yeah, know, only, kind of he only took trains, I think, and
1: buses, right? <laughs> well, Was he,
0: wasn't he afraid the, of flying? Well, I yeah, maybe, yeah. quite
1: possibly. I know Aretha is, but you know. But I mean, the thing is, he would play with his, you know, when he played that stuff, you know, like uh, get involved and and uh, talking loud and saying nothing, that kind of stuff with James Brown. Yeah, that's a certain style. And then, of course, when he joined Funkadelic, yeah, and then he whipped out the thumb la Larry Graham and he started playing that way. That's a different style of playing. Yeah. And so uh so I said, okay, I said, we're gonna get Bootsy to play on this thing. And uh he started to play and he was doing the second part two bootsy. And yeah. I said, No, 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 no. want <laughs> I, mean, I want the other bootsy. Brown, and he, bootsy. And he says to me, Oh, you want the tiptoe funk, baby? <laughs> I said, yeah, the tiptoe, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, with the two fingers, you know. So yeah, so he gave us the tiptoe. That's and, hilarious. Yeah, and, and but that was the whole thing. Like, <clears throat> your first solo, um, you can do anything you want. You, we can get anyone you want. you yeah. know. and uh, there was a big concern of like what we were gonna do, and and we had uh when Keith uh flew out to L.A. to sign the deal or whatever to meet yeah. with the label um we happened to get together with Tom Waits yeah uh, that afternoon yeah and Tom Waits played us a sneak he gave us a sneak preview of Frank's Wild Years and he played that record for us and it blew my mind it just completely blew yeah. my mind and I said okay now I know yeah yeah we can do we can make music, right. we can go in and make music. We don't have to make, well, you're, you're in the Stones, people are gonna expect to hear something similar to that, which is what I was most terrified about, because the Stones are the Stones, Right. you don't wanna do that. And they that. weren't getting
0: wanna... along at that time?
1: Oh, uh, they go in and out, they, you, know, you don't get between brothers, You know, they they might fight amongst themselves, but if you get in there, then they kill you, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, so, right, you so. become the ass. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. so, um, but yeah, so, Frank's Wild Years was very inspirational yeah, for Interesting. me yeah. and so that's because of the space no just because of the songwriting the sound yeah everything he really you know, went out there and and you know what is you know it's a big it's a story yeah and so I thought okay great and it really freed my thinking up as far as, as far as going in with the approach yeah of what we can do and what we can't do
0: and that led to the the hail hell rock and roll thing and well, that actually came out of that. But oh, you uh, did talk uh, it sheep after that. Yeah,
1: I oh. believe I believe that's how it went. But is that uh, where
0: you first, uh, like you, you were you sort of a part of putting that band together?
1: Yes, I brought uh, Keith to the bottom line to see uh, Joey of the NRBQ, which was yeah probably my favorite band at the time, and he played bass. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, we wanted somebody, you know, a Willie Dixon type somebody who understood that. Yeah. And Joey's Spampanato understood that and yeah. played it and and Keith had never heard Joey play before and and so uh uh we I took him to the bottom line which is a club that no longer exists in New yeah. York it's an NYU cafeteria yeah, yeah, sad, now or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh but um And you got Johnny. And and then Keith's main thing was to get Johnny Johnson. Yeah. To turn the world on to Johnny Johnson to for for Chuck to Finally, pay proper tribute to Johnny Johnson, and for us to experience what it's like to play with Johnny Johnson. Yeah, uh, because basically it was Johnny Johnson's trio that Chuck hijacked. Sid- hijacked, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah.
0: And and uh, dealing with Chuck and Keith, yeah, I got it. Unbelievable. You're <laughs> uh, yeah. lucky you lived through that one. Yeah,
1: huh? I, I, I'm telling you, it was close. <laughs> was yeah, that- well, I was a kind of um. Uh I played referee, Yeah, you know. Uh two hotheads. That were two way. two very passionate people yeah. about what they do. Oh,
0: Okay, it's a more diplomatic way of <clears throat> yeah, putting it. Yeah, there you go.
1: We had this guy working with us who thought of himself as a kind of a technical guru sound guy right so they rigged up this thing where they were going to control Chuck's sound from under the stage oh boy so yeah exactly so you know where this is going so Chuck goes to the amp and it's not really doing anything yeah not good yeah okay (laughs) and so Chuck susses it out and freaks out yeah you know, he just flips out, and rightfully so. Like you guys are going behind his back. He's going behind his back. This is a movie about him in his home, Yeah, and he's a co-producer of it, and now you're going to mess around with his sound You like yeah. he's an idiot? Yeah. Not good, okay? <laughs> and you. so well, can you imagine the, 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 the groundswell of, like, memories coming back of institutionalized racism and yeah. all kinds of stuff? Like, where do you think I am? I'm some freaking primitive idiot you yeah. know like you don't think I know what I invented this freaking thing yeah the reason why you're over here is because of me yeah and now you're
0: gonna do this yeah I'm gonna kill all of you
1: yeah you know and uh, that's what it that's what was coming out and so Keith had to take the take the hit to take the hit
0: and there was a point there was that did he did he actually get hit by Chuck during that thing
1: not that- during that thing but the first time they met yeah he got hit <laughs> 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 he, he got greeted is ah, a so <laughs> You know, yeah.
0: Well, I guess that, you know, I imagine that Chuck, despite the respect he was getting, still the chip on the shoulder of those guys like Little Richard and Chuck Berry for creating the sound that so many people made such big money off of. Totally. That doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And
1: Little Richard had a little bit of of a softer
0: disposition about it. But
1: Chuck, Chuck, you know, they went after Chuck. Just do everything we can to stop you, pal.
0: There was a moment there where the I mean I guess the real concern was that you know he played in these keys that were you know primarily piano keys exactly and you guys yeah. were kind of you know just you know kind of you know moving him towards playing in more accessible keys and there was a moment there where he wanted to change the key during the show during right?
1: the show yeah <laughs> after after the guys had worked everything out in these other keys then well you know what happened the backstory of that is yeah. is that he did a show the weekend before the concert yeah and he did the ohio state fair in which he sang and lost his voice Uh by time we get to now filming he's got no voice yeah that's why he wanted to bring the key down that song right and all kinds of stuff so there was like we had to actually i mean it's the movie 30 years ago so i can say it now we had to actually dub a lot of the lead vocals on the film
0: after yeah with him with him oh yeah. so he didn't have a problem with that he just well he had to do it he yeah. had some
1: of the things he couldn't sing yeah yeah i mean i mean for people who are actually there they don't actually remember that he had very you know Weak half voice. of the voice yeah yeah yeah. because you know oh, you remember the experience sure sure but we had to do a significant amount of fixing yeah um because he sang he blew his chops out on a freaking gig that he wasn't supposed to do By right, the way. right right um. Yeah.
0: With a pickup band, of course.
1: Well, that th- that was the thing about this film. To Keith's credit, was Keith wanted to b- besides get Johnny Johnson his props, he wanted to refamiliarize Chuck with his own genius and to show the world how brilliant these songs were. They're not. They're not all one big Chuck medley. Uh, Chuck Berry medley. Because yeah, That's everyone, what he had. Yeah. Turned everything into. Right. He had forgotten the brilliance of his own songs. Right, because it was just like, "Can you do? Okay, yeah, yeah great." And I'll sing all my lyrics, all yeah, right yeah. whatever. And then if I like it, I'll give you a thousand bucks cash back. And right, that's it's it. like I'll Bruce Springsteen get get in the, the car the way,
0: when they put we're pickup band for right him. exactly. What are we playing? Right. Chuck Berry song exactly,
1: exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I thought you did a great job with it. I mean, I've watched it. You know, I've watched it several times. Cray, is that where you met Cray? That's where we met Robert. You know, it's weird thing about Robert Cray is that. You know, I don't know all his records, but he's one of those guys where, like, that guitar sound, man, that straight, strat, fucking, right. oh, my God. But besides,
1: so, besides his sound, which, you know. He's it, a good singer. He's a great singer. Yeah. He's not a good singer. He's a great singer. He's one of the best singers of our generation. That's yeah. number one. Number two, his playing style, what he is playing is not anything that you've ever heard before in other words a lot of guitar players you can oh yeah that's from albert oh yeah. that's from bb sure. no that's right oh, that's what the, the, you don't get any of that
0: in his playing. and and he takes the same space those guys did he's not a noodler i he mean you know, he's not like, a noodle he, every note he plays counts yeah he's a he's got his own phrasing he's which got, is rare. a
1: very unique phrasing yeah. and nobody can do it and it's incredible yeah and, I agreed. and it's wild so the, the way he got in the band was uh, in eighty five I'm down in Jamaica with Keith and uh we're listening to stuff and we're yeah. just getting to hang out and maybe do some writing or whatever. And he I'm likes thinking, it down there, huh? I think yeah. And I'm thinking that I'm gonna hear, hear the greatest reggae music <laughs> yeah, and everything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And I hear this guitar and I hear this, he's playing this cassette of some guy. And we're going, Who is this guy? you know, and it's it's Robert Craig. Yeah. All Keith was doing was listening to Robert Craig. <laughs> Eric Clapton had turned Keith on to Cray, and they had the the first two albums were two cassettes. on yeah. the, the first two things that Robert ever did, and that's all I really, thats all he was listening to. I'm like, dude, are you gonna play anything else, or what? you know? And that's <laughs> it. So that's how I learned about Robert Cray. And then when we're putting the band together, then it was like, okay, we need another energy. You know, we had Johnny Johnson, Chuck Lavelle, Joyce Bonpanato. We needed another guitar player. Who was gonna be that? person yeah and we're like robert Cray. you know yeah. i mean you know obviously you love him and, yeah and like he's like a young chuck burry the same age was when chuck came out and you know the whole thing and he had that energy and
0: it, it was great and know? he did brown eyed handsome man yes that's great that song like and he really made it his own because like he you know i know the buddy holly version of that too right yeah right buddy did right, it right yeah I, I forgot
1: about that yeah yeah,
0: yeah. and and you know in Chuck's version like oh man there's a that box set the Chuck box set where you really look at all the shit he did it's a really? lot of great songs a man a lot of great he's a genius and like I I don't think like I think that I think that he's I think he was essential to Bob Dylan too he's like that. I,
1: I, he is the be, he is totally the the essential to Bob the Dylan. turn of phrase um, the, the, the uh the, uh you know, like too much
0: monkey business. That's it. That's it. That's it. like that. That it. and uh, can't catch me.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But monkey business in particular is the bedrock of
0: yeah. That thing. I think so. Yeah. 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 Of of uh, leopard skin pills, you know, leopard skin pill box hat, uh, and, yeah. and
1: and and Mediterranean subterranean subterranean med- 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 home-sick whatever. blues, homesick blues. Yeah. Is yeah. That. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Man. Yeah. And you play with Clapton too. Yeah. What do you you like him? You like playing with him?
1: Yeah, it was fun. You yeah. know, that um that the band when I started it, the band that I finally played cuz we had talked about playing together over the years but yeah. we, schedules never really worked out. Yeah. And um but we uh got together and uh and we uh did a thing with Derek Trucks and Willie Weeks. And, oh, right, right, right. And and, yeah. and, and I and, talked to Derek and, and um you know, Billy Preston was alive at the time, and he was supposed to play, and he fell ill right before the tour, oh. and he died while we were on tour. Oh tar. man! So I, I was my fantasy was to get Willie Weeks and Billy Preston back together, mm-hmm. and all that, and we end up playing a lot of Derek and the Dominoes stuff, which I loved. And, yeah, and and uh, you know, Megan and I are huge Derek and the Dominoes fans. So when when the prospect came up of doing
0: it. We thought, yeah. oh,
1: and, and and Derek being in the band. We thought, oh, man, this would be great. About yeah. Willie and then yeah. Derek and yeah. Billy yeah. and, you know.
0: You played with Dylan, too? Yeah. And that was good? That was fun? That was wild. Yeah? It was pretty crazy. Why?
1: Uh Because he was in this, uh, this kind of... uh he was searching. Well, I guess he's always what, searching. When was this? But this was like, uh, I don't even remember, uh, like uh, late 80s, early 90s, something like that. You yeah, toured 90. with him? I didn't do the tour. Uh, he asked me to put together a band for him. For which record? So, so it was, I, I had the honor of playing on his, I think, I would I would call it his worst record. <laughs> uh, Down in the Groove or something. Uh, yeah, You know that record? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm on there. And... Um, he, he wanted me to put together a band. So I put together this band. It was a, a little hot shot studio band that we could follow him, you yeah. know, like a SWAT team. You yeah. Know, Danny Korchmark, Randy Jackson and myself. And it became clear during the rehearsals that um this wasn't gonna really work. So I opted out. Oh yeah. And and then they um and that's when I think that's when the G E Smith uh, oh, okay. era, era began.
0: Well, but, uh, but your relationship with Cray, so you put out this new record. It's a great record. Yeah. Uh, It, it was Thank nice you. to hear from him again. Yeah. And this is on your label?
1: Yes. And Megan and I have a label called JV Records. Megan's your... Yeah, she's my way better half and great musician and yeah. songwriter. We have a band called The Verbs. Yeah. And um, and we put our own records out on JV
0: JV. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a classic old-style yeah. label exactly. sound. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like, you guys been around since the 50s? <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> and so
1: we were fortunate enough to have uh, Missy Collazo at MRI Distribution uh, partner up with us. And, uh, you know, for me, at this stage of my career, I when I'm making records, I like people to hear them. Mm. So I was not very happy about making records for bigger labels and then if they're not really behind it the record kind of gets lost yeah so we knew and and nobody's really funding records the way they should yeah they don't really take into account what it takes to make a good record mm-hmm. and you know the first thing people want to do is not pay the musicians or not Still. So, yeah oh yeah oh, yeah i mean you know People are playing live again because you're not making any money from yeah. You uh, got to re- recording. You got to
0: go play live and sell those T-shirts.
1: Exactly. All it's all about merchandising, yeah. and you know, for us, you know, for producers and writers, when we start, we were the canaries in the coal mine. We, we, our zeros started disappearing. You know, twenty years ago. You know, but now, like nobody's making any money, and you know, e- eventually some legislative action really has to take place for us to get. You know, uh, it's for us to be able to really make a living again in, yeah. in the studio, you know, you know, like Spotify and all these, you know, you know, kind of streaming, yeah, things is like, for instance, I I equated to this. Say if you were like Whole Foods, yeah, right, yeah, and you gave out a a card to people, say, hey, all you can eat for ten dollars a month,
0: yeah. it'd be hard to get into whole foods well not only
1: that what would it do the agriculture department and 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 shipping and and manufacturing all or you could not sustain right anything there'd be nothing Mm -hmm. you can't do it right it's the same thing with music you know you have it's 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 the same all of those ingredients are the same it takes you have to cultivate, you have to grow the musicians. you have to you, you have to maintain the studios yeah you have to you know you got to pay the, more for the you, organic musicians. Absolutely. And for people who are actually really good, <laughs> yeah 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 the the, the, the premium organic <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and it's the same exact thing yeah And if people started to think of it that way, then maybe we would get somewhere as far as compensation goes.
0: Well, people are buying the records again a bit. Well, I'm people buying are, vinyl
1: records again. Thank goodness. And 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 there are new vinyl machines being developed and and new plants coming up. And everything is cyclical, so it's not. We're not dead yet. Yeah. But uh, but we have to police uh, the the revenue stream of, of the internet where, where people get. Proper
0: compensation. Yeah, so, you have and, to. And, people have got to do their part, and you know, behave you know properly, and and do their part to support the musicians.
1: Look, if they if they knew, <laughs> and that's why I use the analogy of the the you know the shopping yeah for groceries analogy, because then it becomes clearer to people. Oh, because for them it's a convenience. You right. know, they go, well, what's wrong with that? I can hear all your music. And it's easier for me to get it. Then I can listen to yeah. But yeah, but we're not, we're not making a dime, you know. It's a fucking shame. And, and and um, so that's that's a problem. Yeah, that's a real problem. Somebody else made a lot of money making that deal. It's always gonna be those guys. Oh yeah, sure. Well, the music business, uh, I say, is the only business you can fail upward.
0: Yeah. Well, no, yeah. there's a lot of businesses on yeah. that side of it. Yeah. You know yeah. where the executive structure seems yeah. to. Uh, the The primary incentive is like, who can I blame if this gets fucked?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then then uh, you know you're ruining the label. Why don't I give you? You ruin our company. I'm gonna give you twenty million dollars to get out. Yeah, and then two years later, they get they've (laughs) been hired by another. Yeah, I don't know what happened over there. but but we 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 think it it reminds me of remember when you're a kid and there were Mm. like uh, uh, baseball managers or basketball coaches that weren't very good. Yeah, but they kept getting gigs. Yeah. And you go, know, well, how do these guys keep getting gigs? Yeah. Because they know how the system works. Right, right. They so are. they're easier
0: to, instead of breaking right. somebody new in. And they're also not a problem. Right. Like, you know, right. Like they'll throw the fight. Right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of it that way, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I. what's the new band called?
1: My band, the Burbs. No, The the uh, High Rhythm. Yeah, high High Rhythm. So it's Robert Cray and High Rhythm. Now, High Rhythm is the legendary rhythm section from Memphis that Willie Mitchell actually developed. The Hodges brothers, Leroy Hodges, Reverend Charles Hodges, Leroy Hodges, the bass player, Charles Hodges, organ and piano, Archie Turner, also known as Hubby, electric piano, clavinet. Uh, the late, great Teeny Hodges was the guitar player. You know, he wrote C- Love and Happiness and yeah. Take Me to the River and stuff like that. Uh, Willie Mitchell taught these guys how to play. He adopted them, actually. They were his adopted children. And as he was tuning his studio and developing this stuff, he also schooled these kids to play.
0: So he brought them in, back to their into, place.
1: Yeah, and they, they, they live in Memphis. They're alive and well. This is not a retro record, okay? No, yeah. Let me no, be no. very clear. It doesn't it's, sound like it. It's, it's just like these guys still play great, and this is what we wanted. And Robert and I have been working together off and on since 98. Yeah. And um, the last couple records we did uh, together, nobody really heard because... Uh, for one reason or another, I'm not going to get into it, but, uh, like, I didn't want to do another record like that where yeah. you pour your heart and soul into something and then nobody hears it. Right. So, I and and Megan and I were discussing a uh, way to grow, go forward. We can't continue on this path of making these records for intermediate labels or big yeah. labels and them not supporting it. So it was, uh, it's time to, we know how it's got to be done. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just do it? And these guys are still around. And they're around. So one day it hit me, Robert Cray and High Rhythm. So I, I sent Robert an email. I got it. He was like, he was totally into it. And then we just moved forward. And, and Megan and I started listening to material and sending it to him. And he would, yeah, that's great, you know, boom, 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 whatever. And it just, the ball started rolling. And one key thing that we did was... Um, I made sure that the band uh, participated fully in the arrangements and everything, so it was a band. Yeah. It, it wasn't like we were hiring some sidemen. Right. Because side right. that's not how it was done on those records. Right. Those great records that had full participation of so all you, the
0: musicians. So it was an ensemble. Yes. And that's how you wrote and created it all. Uh, that's basically how we created the tracks. When was the last time these guys played in that hall? They play their
1: line. Oh, they, they do? do. They, they do. Uh,
0: they they work out of there. So know? that's a, that's their home. That's their home. Oh. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Well, I mean, well, I enjoyed the record. Now I know more about it. I'll go listen to it again with this Good. all this new new wisdom. Good. Good job, man. It was great Thank talking. You. to you. It's
1: great talking to you as well. Pleasure.
0: That was fun. We learned. We laughed. We talked about music. I, I wanted to say because Steve wanted me to uh, to tell you. He forgot to mention the late Bob Crenshaw as someone who was a mentor to him. He was the first musician hired for the SNL band, and he took Steve under his wing. And sometimes you get talking and you forget to pay respect to the people you respect, and he wanted me to tell you that. And he wanted to make sure to, to let you know that, uh, that that guy was important to him. Pay a little tribute uh, on this episode uh, for Mr. Bob Crenshaw. All right, I'm so, I, I won't be loopy for long. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some loopy blues. People seem to be responding to the basics.